This podcast was created to educate listeners on the experiences of diverse individuals. However, all opinions expressed by the host or guests do not reflect the overall standing of Tarleton Radio or Tarleton State University. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Making Space a Diversity Dialogue. I'm your host, Cole, and this is a bi-weekly podcast where together we'll have questions answered about socially sensitive topics while learning how to create lasting relationships with diverse people. How I approach this topic will be a little bit different, folks. Our discussion will be over learning disabilities, things like dyscalculia, ADHD, auditory processing disorder, and more. But we'll be looking at these disabilities through two different lenses. The first episode will be the administration side of things, those helping disabled folks and assigning accommodations. For the second episode, coming out a little bit later this month, we'll be talking to a student who has personal experience with her own learning disability. But to kick us off, we have Student Disability Resource Coordinator, Jerrica Hopson for this episode. She's with me to discuss learning disabilities. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And before we get uh, too far into the episode, like always, I wanna give a little bit of vocabulary. I've only got two big words that I want to address before we get into the questions. And first off is learning disabilities. Now, when I was doing a little bit of my research and kind of what I was able to come up with, is a disorder in one or more basic psychological processes that may manifest itself as imperfect ability in certain areas of learning, such as reading, writing, expression, or mathematics. Um, Related disorders could be autism spectrum disorder, ADHD, uh, dyslexia, dyscalculia, auditory processing disorder, and, and many more. Um, does that kind of cover what that term means, Jerrica, or is there, there are different kind of ways of explaining it? Well, um, there's different models of disability. So, you know, the most popular medical model, social model, and rights-based model. So okay. each of those would likely define it differently. I think that's a good overall audience-friendly definition that mm-hmm. I think can, you know, encompass anyone regardless of their background and experience with disability. So I... I think that's an effective definition. Okay, thank you, thank you. Um, Then taking that definition, there are also what we call accommodations that are associated with disability in general, um, how we adapt certain things to help disabled folks. Um, So again, there are adaptations that can be made to to courses, to tests, response style, um, setting that will assist a disabled person to complete the required material at, I'm guessing, the same level as non-disabled students. Is that kind of how Tarleton would define an accommodation, or is that similar? Is that different? It's it's similar. I think the direction we would go with it is it's a, an academic adjustment made to ensure that the student has equal access. Okay, okay. Uh, so I think that would be a, a definition Tarleton could get behind. <laughs> Definitely the equality there is mm-hmm. important. Rather, we're not pushing disabled students further than, um, say, a non-disabled student. We're just making sure that they're on equal footing. Right. And so that would be kind of the difference in access and success, right? So, right. So I would provide with equal access, but mm-hmm. it'll be up to the student and all of the other resources on campus to make that success happen. But they're going to have the same opportunity as everyone else. And the educational barrier will no longer be there for that student. That's Great. the goal. Great. That's a good goal. 
And I wanted to start off the questions with kind of more, a little bit of a more personal direction and ask how you got into disability services and maybe what drives you to still be there. So it's actually an interesting story. Uh, I went to Tarleton for my undergrad and my master's degree, and I'm, I was registered with the office. Um, I have yeah, dyslexia, and um, I think I told you I, I have anxiety. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, I've got, so, um, so I was registered as a student, and then whenever I started going to grad school, Dr. Trina Guy was the director there. Okay. And she agreed to take me on as um, a graduate assistant, and then oh, I just great. kind of pushed from there and continued into a, a full-time position. And um, I'll be completing my doctorate in July. Oh, and congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> That's big. And uh, I got accommodations in that program as well. So as far as, you know, um, continuing to do this job, I want people to know that a disability specifically you know in this context a learning disability doesn't have any reflection on a student's intelligence mm-hmm. you know it's all about flexibility and um, one thing that I'm most passionate about is universal design uh, so universal design and learning and instruction so one of the, the key components of universal design is flexibility mm-hmm. uh, so flexibility in course delivery um, demonstrating mastery and things like that uh, so I always give an example that because I'm dyslexic, my spelling isn't, you know, it's not the best, right? right. Um, but the content of what I'm trying to tell you is definitely there. So right. if, if I were dismissed every time I didn't use a comma appropriately, I would not be in this position. So mm-hmm. I was lucky enough to be working with people who are flexible, which is a component of universal design, whether it's named that way or not, mm-hmm. whenever they do it, um, for them to give me that flexibility and see that my message is here it's just the comma that's missing (laughs) so (laughs) that's a that's a very good example and later on I definitely want to go back and touch on interactions with folks and uh, specifically disabled folks and 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 accommodations and how that goes about but before I want to get too far into that uh, what kind of accommodations does Tarleton offer to those with learning disabilities so uh, typically, we don't uh, list out the accommodations. Some mm-hmm. universities do, but our stance on that is that every um, situation is handled on a case-by-case basis. Okay. So each accommodation is individual, and it's created so that the student has access, equal access. So mm-hmm. what we do is um, I usually meet with all of the students, and we have a conversation about what their concerns are, and then we develop an accommodation plan from there. Uh, based on their individual needs. So it's not necessarily um, a quote-unquote prescription Mm -hmm. of accommodations. Each plan is uh, developed on a case-by-case basis. Right. A lot of people like to think, especially in healthcare, about almost a prescription, a guideline of what to do. And I, I like the fact that Tarleton kind of waits and says, well, don't don't maybe go looking for certain accommodations. Just come talk to us and we'll figure out what the best thing is for for you. Right. And and one thing I tell all of my students is there's only one expert on yourself and that's you. Mm-hmm. Right. So I I can look at your documentation all day. I can, you know, look at what you provide all day, but I'm going to get the most important information from the student themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in that same respect, some might consider me an expert in my field as well. <laughs> so um, the two come together in that aspect to create uh, what plan they need for access. But then also, I know we're going to talk about faculty later, mm-hmm. but um, the customization that goes into 
uh, working with each individual faculty is also very vital in the accommodation process. Right. Let, let's go ahead and talk about faculty members and instructors then. What is the response from faculty members and instructors about having students with learning disabilities or, or even disabilities in general? How do, are they responsive? Are they good or are they not so good? So um, I actually had multiple meetings today, and I said this in multiple meetings. <laughs> one, one thing that I'm, I'm most proud of at Tarleton is our faculty mm-hmm. and the willing to be, to be open and work with our students, but then also they are open to being re-educated or redirected, right? Okay. So, you know, sometimes faculty go into it thinking, well, this is the way I've always done it. This is how I think it's correct. Right. But then it's brought to my attention. Well, you know, maybe that's not, you know, exactly how we should do it. Let's mm-hmm. sit down and talk about, you know, why? Because I'm not going to just go in and say, you're doing this incorrectly. You need to fix it, right? It's a collaboration. Right. They're a professional. I'm a professional. And um, sometimes we include the student, but sometimes it's just a general re-education session that we okay. have. And I have found that, you know, 90%, 99% of faculty <laughs> are completely open, and that conversation is usually quite pleasant. Every university is going to have some faculty that it's it's a you know, a little bit more difficult to work with than others. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can say Tarleton has far fewer than any other system school of the providers that I've talked with and interacted mm-hmm. with. I would say that's one of Tarleton's strongest assets is our faculty's willingness to work with our students and, and my office. So when you talk about having these meetings with instructors or faculty members, does that usually come after or is it more of a beforehand kind of combat any sort of issues that that happen in the classroom with compliance uh so um you know basically proactive versus reactive yes, right yes, that yeah, was the word yeah. i was looking for thank you <laughs> yeah, very much no, no problem I, I i give this conversation a lot as well so um part of universal design is being pro- proactive rather than uh reactive that's um one of the tenets of universal design as well and i know i've mentioned it a lot and um the listeners if you're interested in looking it up it's essentially it's making things accessible from the big beginning mm-hmm. it was uh developed out of architecture so uh building in the ramps from the beginning rather than adding them later yes that kind that of thing would be more easy yeah like and, much easier and the ramps they're helpful for people who are disabled or non-disabled right so mm-hmm. um someone who has a stroller someone who's carrying a lot of things it might be more beneficial to go up a ramp or an elevator than mm-hmm. to try and make it up those steps so that's a tenet of universal design making things that were seen as quote-unquote special accommodations for this specific population Mm -hmm. being something that's commonplace and just done from the start right Right. like putting a door on the building isn't special Mm -hmm. it's done from the start because that's what has to happen for access (laughs) for anyone exactly so uh we we do have a little session with uh, new faculty during the new faculty orientation where we we introduce our office and what we do and then uh we meet with each uh college Mm -hmm. so the, the college of agriculture the college of education they just changed the names of those colleges, and I don't know what they yes, are. Yes, I believe it is Agriculture and Natural Sciences. Okay, that one. We meet with mm-hmm. that one. So uh, we during the college meeting, it's the dean that calls it, and all the department heads are present, and um, any program directors are present. And so mm-hmm. we kind of meet, uh, reintroduce our office, and we say, um, this is what we're doing. This is kind of what we need from you. The other half of my office is the testing center. Right. 
So we talk about using the testing center, what kind of tests we offer and things like that. Um, But we do uh, meet with the colleges. And then aside from that, I'm always open if someone reaches out to do any training or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, I've worked with Emily Van Kirk quite a bit. Yes, we know her. Yeah, I believe. uh, um, I think I might have attended a talk where where you talked and I was probably on Zoom and I didn't stop talking. Uh, Other than that, yes, I do deal with a lot of reactionary um, conversations just because I rely so heavily on our students to let me know mm-hmm. if something's going wrong because they're the ones in the moment and again they're the expert on themselves right uh, so I I can include the student in the conversation initially and identify them if they'd like but usually I can go into a conversation with a faculty member keep the students confidentiality intact mm-hmm. and then we can just talk in general about their understanding of X Y and Z accommodation mm-hmm or you know we'll go into specific scenarios mostly the issues i deal with it's just a misunderstanding or a miscommunication i see yeah are instructors and faculty required to comply um to this this method this universal method not universal design oh universal design yeah no not that and um it's not an officially adopted concept or disclaimer there it's it's my own uh what i try to push i see okay yeah okay uh it it is a you know it's a thing right it's a national thing it's just not something you know formally endorsed at Tarleton right um but it is something that I'm encouraging just because after COVID especially so for example the recording of lectures Mm, that that would be extremely helpful for a large portion of my students of course um and it's helpful for students in general you know Mm -hmm. to be able to review that material and honestly whenever we look at what what is a faculty assessing they're assessing whether or not they mastered the content not whether or not they were able to write down notes Uh, so I that's that's um, a concept that could be seen as universal design Mm -hmm. Um, it's I believe it's moving to uh, faculty discretion okay but you know if I'm asked about it that is the conversation that I have so yes there there is federal and state legislation the Americans with Disabilities Act and then the Americans with Disabilities Act as amended Um, so both of those require um, any university who receives state or federal funding to um, abide by the ADA uh, private universities have to do it as well. They're just under a different title. I see. Um, okay. So they do. But with that being said, it's still a collaborative effort. Mm-hmm. Like I said at the beginning, I don't prescribe these things. So the faculty member is the content area expert. Mm-hmm. I'm the expert in this field. The student is the expert in themselves. So if a faculty member ever feels like it's a fundamental alteration, a, an accommodation cannot fundamentally alter the core foundations of a course. Right. So in that case, no, the accommodation wouldn't apply, but it's a conversation. It's not just the faculty member saying, no, I'm not going to do this. Mm-hmm. But it's important that the student lets me know if that ever does come up so we can have that dialogue and open that conversation. That's great. It's great. It's very much, uh, I, I never thought about it in a group kind of method, but it definitely is a, a group kind of cycle that happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's very interesting. Yes, definitely. Interesting. And and confidentiality is quite important for me, but of I have course. found that as we move forward and there's more of an acceptance of disability as part of identity, mm-hmm. that students are more and more open to have that discussion and be identified. Just like y- you have a student who, who obviously has been comfortable and they're yes. going to be coming in, yes. um, that has extremely helped 
not only myself, of course, but those who are not in the disability world, right? It helps them, whether they know it or not, everyone comes in contact with someone who has some form of disablement. Everyone Mm -hmm. does. Um, And at some point, most everyone will experience that, but they don't put it in that context right away. So students being open and willing to have those conversations with faculty, with you, with other students, all it, it it just, it re-educates everyone and makes disability not taboo to talk about it makes it more visible and Mm -hmm. that's really what we like to see on this show is the education value but just hey this is this is a group that's here and that need to be heard yes and and our population has actually grown substantially so um the amendments act was passed in 2007 2008 Mm -hmm. and it broadened the scope of what's considered a disability in order to be protected under the ada okay so that opened the door for who's eligible for accommodations in post-secondary education so we obviously i wasn't here in 2007 Mm -hmm. but we have uh almost 600 students registered with us wow um and when you look at the larger population of Tarleton, obviously it's not that's not a huge um, population. It's not a huge segment, um, especially when you look at look at other marginalized groups. But the disabled population is a marginalized group, and right. it should be treated that way. Um, but whenever you compare our numbers to say other system schools, um, there is or other schools our size in general, we do have quite a large population. Okay. Um, so it's it is becoming more. I wouldn't say easy, but less stigmatized for students to come forward and say, I need these things. That's I'm going to work hard, um, but I'm going to let you know what I need as well. That's good. That's good. Not, I guess, at least on my end, I didn't know how many students were really involved in disability services and if that was something that needed to be like worked on, like that people should know that they can come up to you and just be like, hey, I need these things. Mm-hmm. And that kind of brings in a question that I had, which is besides faculty, because you mentioned that you, you mentioned the faculty training, instructor training, and that, that you go and introduce yourselves to different departments. Do you do something similar with students that maybe wouldn't think to ask otherwise? So we do. Um, I wanted to start with uh, there's a required syllabus statement about the office and how they can contact us. It's in every syllabus. I see. But most syllabuses are, syllabi are, you know, 14 pages. Um, yes, definitely. So, um, that's but, something that's in all of them, and I, yeah. I can't say that I've yeah. read it. Fully. Yeah, no, and it's completely understandable, but it is in all of them. Um, we are involved uh, if there's orientation or anything like that. Mm-hmm. One thing that um, can be confusing for some people who maybe don't work in the office is um, legally the student has to make first contact with the office. Oh, we we cannot, you know, someone says, oh, I, I think the student needs your help. I can't reach out to them. They have to reach out to us. I see. Um, that protects the student as far as self-disclosure and, mm, you know, things like sense. that because they're the only expert on themselves, right? Mm-hmm. So they're going to know if they need help. They just need to know the resources there. Um, but yes, and I uh, we have a partnership going with student development and mentoring right now. Okay. <laughs> I'm super excited about it. <laughs> we actually presented at um, the Association of American Colleges and Universities. Wow. Yeah, so excited. And it was virtual. Uh, so that I didn't have to travel, so that was exciting. <laughs> That's good. Uh, but um, I, I've started it with student development and mentoring where uh, I'll meet with a student and so many times students expect services to be centralized so Mm -hmm. like oh you're a student with a disability so you go here for this this and this Mm -hmm. I don't want that at all I feel like you know that's pushing us so far back to almost a separate but equal concept 
I want students to be able to access the same resources as everyone else. I want advising and tutoring and student success coaching to be accessible to these students regardless of disability status. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times what they're needing is exactly what a success coach does, but they are under the false understanding that they have to go through me to get it. And that's not the case. Mm -hmm. So what I do is I, I create a referral with the student's consent and I talk a little bit about how their disability may directly impact their academics based on our conversation okay. and what kind of um, resources I think would be helpful for the student success coach to employ with the student or provide to the student but then also that provides that student success coach with these resources that you know maybe were initially created for disabled students mm -hmm. but would be beneficial to so many other people mm -hmm. uh, and a good example would be if a student comes to a success coach and they say I'm having a hard time keeping up with the reading done outside of class uh, mm -hmm. so I'm dyslexic that was a major problem that I had it's a major problem that a lot of my students who have reading disorders have mm -hmm. but also um, a lot of people have trouble with it because finding the time to sit down to dedicate to actually read mm -hmm. the stuff and yes, all of that I so uh, there's some programs where you can uh, so for example there's one called snap and read on your phone you take a picture of it and it converts it uh, to PDF so that it can be read to you um, oh, okay. So there's that. Obviously, there's audiobooks. If it's, um, there's a program called Natural Reader that, mm -hmm. that I use. It's, it's my favorite. Uh, so anything on the computer, if you can highlight it with your cur cursor, this program will read it to you. Oh, okay. Uh, there's a free version. It's called Natural Reader. There's a free version. Um, <laughs> I'll try to link that. <laughs> and it's, it's actually fantastic because it's very simple to use. Um, and for me, it's not so much that I need it to, to read read to me slow or anything so I speed it up very fast I just need to be able to hear it and see it in order to, mm -hmm. to take it all in but that would be beneficial to working parents it would be beneficial to people who commute mm -hmm. none of those are disabilities right so. right but it can be applied to other right. students it's right and that's that's very important and and now our success coaches and our mentors that department is being exposed to those resources mm -hmm. and eventually I want to branch that to all of the student services departments on campus um, but I, I'm wanting to get the framework established with student development and mentoring because I think they're the most immediately helpful for the students coming in mm -hmm. it's a wonderful department so <laughs> everyone student development and mentoring over there with Dr. Mananchaki that's great that's great I was actually about to my next question was going to be in your opinion, where where do you see that the disability services has room to grow, or if it has room to grow, where do you see it going? So what I want to do is, to a certain extent, uh, work myself out of a job, right? <laughs> I don't I don't want things to be special accommodations anymore. I want them to be things that are built into a course. They're part of pedagogy. They're part of you know instruction and learning. So obviously, there's going to be some things that universal design can't really address so uh, testing for example um, most people don't take college tests or college type tests once they graduate and they're in the workforce right right so that's kind of an exception but being able to work with students to build those skills and faculty to help them build those skills in order to bridge to the workplace so that they can find those resources for themselves once they get out there or to help incorporate that into their workplace already mm -hmm. um, I, I really want to do that. I'm obviously passionate about universal design. Yes. Um, I do have job security, though, because it's the law. But mainly, I want to do some education. And we, we did recently change our name. So we did used to be referred to as disability services, mm -hmm. but we're now disability resources. Resources. Okay. And um, so it, it, 
it's only a single word change, but it is is so much more than that um, for for a lot of people, but for myself, especially as far as um, the philosophy and the direction that I would Mm -hmm. like to go. I I don't want to be a service as in we do this for you. I want to be a resource and let's educate you. Let's work together. Let's make this happen. Let's make sure we don't have any issues. Mm -hmm. Let's make this accessible from the from the start and it's not student disability services anymore it's just disability services because accessibility is a university-wide responsibility mm-hmm. it's not the responsibility of a single department or the student to go to battle for themselves right. it's the entire university so that's really what I would like to do I'd like to open it up to okay accessibility is the responsibility of everyone right. let's figure out how we can do it because so often disability is trapped in the single department Mm -hmm. that has disability in their name right and I think that does a disservice not only to the disabled students but the non-disabled students as well as far as exposure to diversity like what you're doing with this dialogue so um I so my personal vision (laughs) for the (laughs) office um would be to follow the models of disability um so Obviously, the medical model of disability is is the most traditional, so to speak, model. Mm-hmm. It's the one where uh, it's medicalized. It's a, a an inherent problem with the individual. It's something that needs to be cured, and so mm-hmm. on and so forth. Right. It has its place. It has its place in the medical field. I can see how that's important in the medical field. Doesn't have its place here or in advocacy or anything like that. Then you move to the social model of disability, which um, is quite popular. It's it has a lot of flaws which have been addressed but in that aspect that's whenever we get into the conversations about language so identity verse identity first versus mm-hmm. person first and things like that and looking at how society contributes to um, barriers and how they put up barriers right that that makes sense yes. we can kind of see that in a lot of different ways especially right now not mm-hmm. just with disability but also with uh, race and mm-hmm. sexual orientation and gender identity as well. Absolutely, and and there is there is a lot of crossover. So, uh, conversation about critical race theory is really heating up right now, of course. But there's um, discrit, which is critical disability theory. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of overlap as far as you know advancements of rights and awareness with um, you know race, LGBTQ. So a great example for LGBTQ is the Q. White, right? Queer used to be you know right. insulting. Used to be a dirty word. The same for disabled right sometimes yes. it's it's hard for people to understand that that's no longer <laughs> or it shouldn't have ever been but it's not it's not a dirty word anymore mm-hmm. it's it's part of identity it, a disabled person is okay to say that's identity first that's identity development which really should be happening in college that's whenever a student figures out yes. what their identity is and Definitely. so if we can normalize saying disabled it's going to be extremely helpful um just in the larger picture in getting students what they need that is kind of beyond the curriculum right it's it's mm-hmm. uh human development right um and then and then you move into the right space model of disability which is really the arena that i would like to work in um and it gets a little confusing um, because the right space model is not as concerned with advocacy as the social model that so makes sense. right mm-hmm. so i think Uh, A university has uh, an obligation to um, abide by the ADA, which is a a legal document, right? Yes, definitely. Um, And I think sometimes whenever we kind of uh, bleed over into uh, advocacy, sometimes it it may blur the intention of the ADA, 
right? And, okay. and sometimes it can make it difficult for service providers to see their way through, okay, this is what they need in order to have access. If I do this, I know they're going to be successful, right? Right. So that can get a little confusing. So if um, the Office of Diversity and Inclusion and International Affairs, uh, if if they can kind of adopt the social model of disability and see disability as part of diversity and part of culture, mm -hmm. that is where that those students can go to get that social support, just like they have uh, mental freedom and bold. I know they yes. had those going, yes. but seeing disability as culture and diversity follows that social model while the the, the legal and federal compliance happens just like in the, the Title IX, the Office mm -hmm. of Civil Rights, that's where that happens it's it's okay right so there's a legal arm to make sure they're getting what they need but then there's the the advocacy arm which it's exactly the same for for race uh, lgbtq mm -hmm. it's the, it's the same concept and the same model so just like we've we've taken from you know their efforts uh for other you know right. progressive movements we can do the same for this but um more and more you're seeing the centralized idea of service so you have a disability so you go to, to you go to tutoring over here not over here mm -hmm. right and i can see how that could be appealing but it's also damaging it's segregation it still creates the separate the separate equal, right and so i don't think uh people see the damage it does to disability identity whenever that stuff like that happens mm -hmm. that's why i think it's important to keep the legal compliance here right mm -hmm. because legal compliance is very very different than what happens in diversity and inclusion of course right um so that's where i'm interested in because it's it's clear right and right. I, I can be a consultant i can say this is what the legislation says it's actually not clear at all it's up to a <laughs> lot of interpretation yes. but it it requires someone to have a mindset that can see multiple angles but whenever you work in um advocacy or you're solely consumed by the social model of disability, it can be hard to see any other angle. Right. So you want to look at this in, in a way, a sectioned off state, but a state that is also in kind of a cycle of working together yes. at the same time. It's a lot of balance, I can tell, from making sure a disabled student is able to be an individual and be and have that independence associated with it you're very much like we're a resource center so they come to us when they need resources versus you have to come to us because we are the disability services but it's also we don't want you segre segregated essentially just to us mm -hmm. it's getting more outreach and more um acceptance mm -hmm. definitely more acceptance and that's not a lot about what you think of when you think of disability, you're like, well, at a point, anyone can be disabled that you, you talk to, but it's also, there's a lot of things that disabled folks don't have that other people have been fighting for, that other people have gotten, that disabled folks just don't have. And yes. with your kind of outlook on it and where you want to grow it, we're moving toward that, well, everyone can be disabled everyone can be in that point or everyone anyone rather um can be disabled that you talk to but they're also just a part of regular society not on a different class level yes and and what it, 
one thing that's popular in you know the disability studies community is that um, the disability population is one of, if not the only marginalized population that anyone can join at any point unexpectedly in their life. Right. And so, um, but a lot of times it's not seen as a marginalized population because it's not seen as culture. It's not seen as diversity. Mm-hmm. We're, we've made great progress in that in that aspect. But if you'll notice that a lot of um, kind of diversity departments, uh, disability isn't a, a huge component. Right. I know Emily is, is a very passionate advocate for d- disability, mm-hmm. and we work together quite often, so I know we're working towards that. But I think a lot of times um, disability kind of gets push, pushed out of the diversity picture, mm-hmm. um, and I am quite passionate about that. So that's that would be an interesting um, project if I did get – uh, kind of the ultimate goal of okay, th- this is the right space model. This is the social model. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and being a, a disabled student and a staff member, I feel like I do have a uh, a different uh, perspective on certain things. Right. And being able to relate to the students, but then also being able to communicate to the faculty and and the staff. Uh, and since I w- have been here since <laughs> I was sure. a student, I do Definitely. know a, a lot of them and have that relationship already there. But I want to build a framework to where. You know, if I'm not in this position anymore, that relationship with the office, not just me, there. is still there. That, that's very good. That's very good. When uh, we're looking at prospective students who are disabled, um, what kind of advice would you give them uh, thinking about everything you've said, thinking about the universal kind of model that you're talking about? What advice do you give to students who are coming into college right now? So in general, every university is going to have a similar process. Mm-hmm. The student has to make the initial contact. Uh, typically, we can't take any action until after the student's been enrolled. So my advice as a as a high school freshman would be to make sure your documentation is in line. Like okay. make sure your school has provided you what you need, but also make sure you understand what your disability is. What are your strengths and weaknesses? What are your coping skills? What has worked with you worked for you? Because mm-hmm. I need them to be able to communicate that to me because they are an expert on themselves but whenever they're not an active agent in their education in in high school perhaps Mm -hmm. then they're not able to communicate that with me and so I'm not able to get that expertise that I need to move forward so I think understanding their strengths and weaknesses um, either due to their disability or due to the type of student they are regardless is going to be important but also looking at the university you want to attend, figuring out, you know, okay, how do I reach out? What's my first step? We have something called the initial contact form. Mm-hmm. It's an online document that they'll fill out and it, it comes directly to me and I review everything. Um, and I follow up with the student, but making sure you have your documentation, making sure you understand what the university is going to expect from you in the way of documentation, because every university is a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would kind of be my my main thing would be getting what you need from your high school before you graduate. Right. It's going to be ideal. That's important. Yeah. Um, another thing would be to understand your documentation, understand what you're looking mm-hmm. at. Uh, a, a good example is uh, for students who need to take the teacher certification exam, the documentation that, you know, I deemed access, acceptable, right, for accommodations, mm-hmm. the the third party private company that owns the teacher certification exam may not okay so understanding what that documentation is and what the limitations of that documentation um, are would be really important so I think Mm -hmm. mainly becoming more of an active agent in their own education and their own advocacy because it is hard for parents sometimes to 
for any parent, regardless of student's disability status, mm-hmm. to see them go from, you've been in my house for 18 years, and now I'm just dropping you off. Right, right. right. The independence aspect yeah. that we kind of mentioned before. Yeah. It's not something, it's really, really easy to kind of let your guardians or your parents take over where you initially go after high school or during high school. So it's just being a little, like you said, a little more active in the education process. It's yes. important. And what your what your disabilities are and really kind of learning yourself mm-hmm. in that. It's very important. Definitely. I, identity development, I think, is, is way more important than people give it credit for during the time at college. And Mm-hmm. accepting disability as part of identity is only going to enhance the person's ability to know themselves right right, right. Uh, not thinking of it as something that's less than or lacking a, a disability is a part of identity and it's okay <laughs> to be disabled right and it's okay to accept that as part of your identity now still kind of on the realm of advice what kind of advice or, or any kind of thoughts you can give to maybe faculty or teachers or instructors about having disabled students uh, in the classroom. And I know we don't want to segregate kind of in that way, but there are different elements of accommodation. And like you said, building a curriculum, what, what, what advice do you have on that aspect? So um, we have the Center for Educational Excellence and uh, each college has its own uh, instructional designer. And our instructional designers are fantastic. We've we've met with them before. Um, they're all on board with the universal design concept and mm-hmm. helping their faculty get to that point. They were instrumental in making sure things were accessible when we made that shift to online, uh, right. especially with the captioning and making sure those things mm-hmm. are in place. So for the faculty member, it would be contacting their instructional designer uh, about possible accessibility. But then also, I think being flexible without being over accommodating is important so if it's if it's not written on their accommodation letter and you wouldn't do it for any other student don't do it for this student right Mm -hmm. um you know because we've determined this is what they need for equal access but if it's something you would do for everyone like providing the recording like we all had to do Mm -hmm. um then yes let's do it let's do it for all of them does it give anyone an advantage to be able to review your content and your lecture that you i'm sure you spent a lot of time to prepare why would you want them to only have one viewing Mm mm-hmm that that's so that's a good point i thought about that yeah. before uh so there's uh i think there's just flexibility is important and i think we've learned faculty especially learned a lot about flexibility mm-hmm. during covid and um some of them may be bent to breaking point but uh still being open to that flexibility is would be what i would advise and i i think like i said uh, earlier I, i'm very very proud of our faculty right mm-hmm. okay um are there any topics or elements, uh, whether that be like the administration side of learning disabilities or, or disabilities in general that we didn't cover that you wanted to make sure to mention? Um, I, I think mainly I want to talk about uh, or, or mention the importance of self-advocacy and communication. So there's a difference in self-advocacy and battling, right? Yes. Yeah, so self-advocacy is what I expect but battling is not what should happen. That's whenever a student needs to reach out to me um, so that I can help step in and engage mm-hmm. in that conversation, but also understanding that having a disability doesn't automatically put you in you know, a box, right? right. So the expectations are all still the same. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you just have something that has taken away the barrier for if a class is hard, 
eh, for everyone, it's probably going to be hard for a disabled student as well. Right. Right. The accommodations don't make things any easier. And the type of accommodations given in high school are very different than those given in post-secondary education because we're actually governed under two different legislative bodies. Mm. It is it is very different. And so making that transition can be difficult and if you think about an 18 year old freshman coming in Mm -hmm. and they're thinking well I've had these for years and years and years it's just going to transfer over it's going to look exactly the same it doesn't Um, so I I think it's important to to recognize that and understand that there there are other ways to bridge the gaps the perceived gaps right Um, one thing that uh, I think is the most upsetting for me is if um a student tells me that I didn't help them, mm. right? And and I can understand uh, when a student is upset and, you know, they received X, Y, and Z in high school forever mm-hmm. and it's just not something that, you know, translate over into college. I think um, the willingness for faculty to be open to re-education should also be there for students to understand okay. why I'm doing these things. I'm not doing them because, you know, I, I don't want to be helpful to you or anything like that, but that is... Um, that is hard to right. hear, and I'm sure it's hard to hear for anyone, um, but I am personally invested, right? Mm-hmm. Not only in the job, but in the students, because I know I went through it, I understand, um, but also the, the independence and the autonomy, and you know, there's a bridge from high school to college, but then there's a, a longer bridge, right, from college mm-hmm. to career, and that's what we're trying to do here. Uh, so I think, I just want people to know that I'm a nice person <laughs> and you can come and talk to me right, or send right. me an email. I brought some cards for you if, oh, you, great. if you want them. Great. Um, and communicating with me does not always mean you're going to get exactly what you want, mm-hmm. but we're going to work together to get you to a place that you're going to get what you need. Right. That's important. Important. Well, thank you so much for yes. discussing all of this with us and uh, talking to the listeners about this because it's not something people think about if they aren't disabled um, to think to, well, well, how can I help my students or even how can I help my children or, or my, my children that are under guardianship or anything like that? How can I help my students actually get through those, those barriers and how do I start off my curriculum like that? So that's really, really important. So thank you so much no for joining us. All right, folks, we went over a lot of information and there's still plenty of material out there and plenty of topics left to learn about. If you would like to know more or maybe I didn't cover something you were curious about, be sure to check those links in the description for some additional resources about the topic we discussed today. And be sure to check back next upload for the second half of this topic where I'll bring in a student to discuss her experiences with her own learning disability. That'll be Tuesday, July 27th at 5 p.m. will be the next upload. For regular updates on the show, find The Planet 100.7, the radio station we're based out of, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Planet 100.7. One last time, I'd like to thank my guest, Miss Jerrica Hobson, for coming on and, and talking to me and discussing with us. And thank you, listeners, for following along and learning all of this with me. Until next time, be safe out there, folks, and take care.
Tarleton Radio Network podcast with production from me, Taylor Welch, and me, Brianna Blanks. Find more great shows by searching Tarleton Radio Network wherever you get your podcasts.